All righty. Uh, well, welcome everybody to season one, episode two of the Impactful Conversations podcast. Uh, my name is Travis Roski, and I'm hosting our episode today. Uh, we are live on LinkedIn, broadcasting live, but we'll have the audio versions of the podcast available on Apple Podcast and also on Spotify afterwards. So our title today is Building a Broadband Network, a Conversation with Clearwater County. Um, I'm going to go through an introduction of myself, and then I'll ask Tim to introduce himself, and then I'll also provide a little bit of background on the podcast and what we're going to cover today. So myself, I'm Travis Roski. I am the technical sales representative for Impact Technical Products in Western Canada. So I cover Manitoba all the way to the BC border. And Impact Technical Products is a manufacturer's representatives agency, and we provide market-leading solutions for mission-critical and harsh environment IT and communications infrastructure. Uh, this podcast is more or less sponsored by the manufacturers that we represent. In Western Canada, there are eight. We represent Chatsworth Products, Oberon, Fiber Connections, Guardian Telecom, Fiberfox, Teletics, Protoc, and Sarah 4. So if there is any interest in those afterwards, feel free to reach out. Uh, my background is in chemical engineering, and I worked in the oil field for uh, roughly six years, seven years before the pandemic made a change in plans, but I found a great fit with impact and uh, haven't looked back since joining this industry. So without further ado, Tim, can you give us a little bit of an introduction into yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my name is Tim Quinn, and uh, I've been in the telecom industry for uh I hate to date myself, 35 years or so, and uh, where I've worked nationally and internationally uh, across uh, five or seven continents. If, uh, that's, uh, so it's been a, a nice little run over those years. Um, I've been in various positions from CTO right down to uh, head of engineering to uh, operations uh, from many different uh, accounts across the board. Um, I've worked for some of the largest major operators and manufacturers in the world uh, and now in a position of broadband technologist for Clearwater County uh, that I've been enjoying and uh, it's nice to be down to earth again. So, Well, very nice. We're glad to have you on the podcast today and thanks for joining us. Uh, so today we're going to discuss a little bit of the project background, building a broadband network uh, because there's... There's currently a project that Tim is working on, and we'll get into some questions on the challenges that Tim faced, some of the solutions that he deployed, where the project is at now, where the project came from, and some of the impetus behind actually completing the project, because we know broadband is kind of a, a hot topic right now in Canada. Um, Tim, why don't you start off by just providing a bit of a background in Clearwater County to set the stage for everybody so they, they understand where it is, where this project is happening. Okay. Um, well, Clearwater County, uh, for the ones that don't know, it's there's the map up, located in Midwestern Alberta, halfway between Edmonton and Calgary, west of Red Deer. Uh, it's a municipal district that is governed by an elected council, uh, seven districts within the county. Uh, population uh, estimate is about 12,000 as of 2021. Uh, 
And the size of the county is fairly large. It's uh, 18,600 square kilometers or 7,183 square miles. So it's a, it's a large one and it's very diverse from a mountainous region to almost like a prairie kind of region in the, uh, in the zone. The internet service in rural and remote communities within the county are categorized as underserved or no service. Um, services unreliable, not sufficient, or lack of choice in some of the uh, areas. So that's basically it in a nutshell. So it's uh, we can go from there. Okay, excellent. Thanks a lot. Take that off the screen now. Um, I was wondering if you can provide a little bit of background now into the project since we know where it's happening. Uh, I know you jumped on kind of in 2020 when there had been some background work done, but what spurred the start of the project? Why did the county take a look at building their own network? When did the planning start? What were some of the, the main reasons and drivers behind the decision to build a network? Well, trying to put that in a bit of a, I guess a nutshell, if you want to put it that way, <laughs> summarize it. Um, it's kind of been a long process for the, uh, for the county. Um, they had been discussing broadband for about six or seven years uh, prior to my arrival in April, 2020. Um, they were looking for, at ways to entice business, business development in general in the area. Uh, some of these areas were uh, losing business, losing people, and um, they needed to revitalize it or somehow bring it back to life. And uh, broadband was uh, uh, one of the key players uh, or key aspects of uh, doing so. So the, the discussion was pretty, pretty, pretty heavy in terms of... Uh, how they go forward and what they what they need to do in terms of do, uh, enticing business. Um, the head studies uh, were completed on a very broad scale and uh, indicated a high cost, especially if they were doing fiber to the home in some of the rural and remote areas. So it, it, the the expense was pretty high, and uh, that just generated further discussion and uh, and what direction to go into. Um, the private sector, in their view, um, were not going to extend, build, or enhance broadband services uh, to meet the needs in the area. So the council stepped up, uh, which and took the initiative, uh, and uh, made the move forward on their own. Uh, so it's it's a it's pretty good, uh, pretty good incentive they uh, you know they provided or initiative they provided. The COVID lockdowns too were almost um, uh, were uh, you know work from home became. Uh, problematic in parts of the county and um, you know the demand for reliable cost-effective internet access was even more apparent um, an influencing an influencing decision uh, to say the least um, the, uh, so we ended up putting together a concept backbone structure and we presented that to the council as a primary requirement initial step to providing an open access network structure um, uh, which was needed to, uh, to be in place to facilitate the next steps of the project or, or wish list, if you want to say, um, such as fiber to the home or wireless or whatever, that uh, backbone or backhaul network uh, was extremely important. That was probably the, um, the cost that was prohibitive to a lot of the smaller players and even the larger players uh, to, to build that out in the, in this uh, sort of large area. So that's what they decided to undertake. 
and uh, the decision was in. The, the uh, they approved the budget. Uh, we we uh, laid out the project over a six year span, and um, from there we we started with uh, one of the smaller projects, which was the Ferrier out to Ferrier Acres, which was about sixteen kilometers or so, and uh, that helped us to um, evaluate uh, costing and uh, methodology in terms of uh, laying out the fiber and um, for a new pop site and uh, determining uh, layouts in that pop site as well. So um, it was uh, it was a good exercise. And uh, from there, that was the first year. And then the second year, we started going into uh, our major uh, parts of the project. So that's kind of it in a summary view. So I uh, hope that helps. <laughs> Yep. Nope. That sounds good. So those those particular uh, properties of your county, smaller population, large size, that would not be unique to Clearwater County. There would be many others uh, within Alberta and within the rest of the country facing similar challenges, I would imagine. So. Well, yeah, for sure. I, like I, I'm from I'm from the north originally, anyway. So uh, in another province, maybe, but. Uh, <laughs> The fact of the matter is uh, the situation remains the same right across the board in the north. Um, it's kind of underserved, um, undervalued, and um, uh, business development uh, is, is, is key for survival in those locations. So to do that, telecommunication has to be brought up to um, today's standards or even future standards right. and uh, to, to move this stuff forward. So. Uh, you mentioned that you had proposed a budget. Can you explain a little bit on the funding model that was ultimately approved on for this project? Well, the funding model was based uh, uh, primarily the the county itself had the um, finances to actually fund this project by themselves independently. And um, so in terms of the uh, backbone, when, the, when we brought forward the costing, estimated costing for the six phases that we wanted to put in and uh, the wireless component, um, they stepped forward and um, are going to fund, the county was gonna fund it on its own independently of any, any other outside investment or grants. So there was no dependency there. Um, as we move forward, I mean, um, as grants became available and, uh, we, you know, the county, uh, we applied for them and, you know, fortunate to maybe receive one, but um, it wasn't um, a necessary um, part of it. It wasn't going to be a showstopper if we didn't receive uh, the grants. So it was important that we kept uh, moving forward and, uh, and uh, that's how it basically is um, in terms of funding. Sounds good. Uh, all right. Circling back a little bit on some terminology that you mentioned about the project. We've got a variety of listeners that are going to be tuning in or are listening live right now. I was wondering if you could explain what a, a pop location is for people who may not be familiar with that term, because there's, there's a lot of acronyms in the telecom industry. No, I, yeah, believe me, in, in the years I've been around, the, the acronyms are clashing with the IT world. Uh, when they started converging. So it's, uh, you know, you're going to learn the ease uh, sort of uh, language uh, keeps changing as we go forward and start uh, innovating. 
But anyway, a pop site, in in my view, and I mean other other people or other groups may have a different variation of this, but a pop site is point of presence, and it's basically uh, a powered uh, electronic uh, location, uh, which is a signal servicing area and a point of interconnection. So it's um, it's basically uh, a powered site where we have uh, uh, the electronics uh, for a lot of our connectivity in there. Uh, what some people use POI or point of interconnection as, uh, as uh, an acronym or a, a term. But POI, um, a pop site can be, is a POI as well, a point of interconnection. But uh, POI in general is, can be either active, which is powered, or passive, which is no power at those locations and direct connection, uh, such as a fiber uh, enclosure that can be connect fiber directly in that location and fed back to a pop site for servicing. So that's basically it. So, Okay. Um, and then also touching on the different phases that you mentioned in the first phase, the Farrier <coughs> Acres, uh, you kind of had a trial pop site. How did some of the lessons learned in that design, build, and implementation factor into what went into phase two uh, the south leg. Well, the uh, the pop site we put in uh, out in our farrier area, um, we we pieced together, and now uh, was again to evaluate cost, uh, evaluate the timeline it took to do that, um, whether um, what we did in terms of what had to go into it, what was the best uh, course of action. And uh, as far as power, as far as grounding, as far as all those different pieces, it took a long time to do it and uh, get things right um, in terms of uh, building it and uh, costing it. Um, so what was decided from there was um, to have the shelters pre-built with all the components in it uh, pretty well. And this saved a lot of time. Um, it provided a higher quality uh, turnaround and um, uh, or faster turnaround as far as being able to place the shelters on site and have everything available to it. Uh, so that that was uh, that was a main influencing factor there. Uh, having the pops, um, it also helped to set up a strategy in terms of the pop locations. It was based on um, transport network where we needed to have intermediate pop sites in terms of uh, amplifying signal for in the fiber uh, from point A to point B, so to speak, uh, and long distance up to uh, some other remote areas that uh, we want to set up as a service zone. So um, that helped us uh, in, in general to uh, strategize uh, the, the new pop locations in those uh, sites. So excuse, okay. me just, excuse me just for a second here. No problem. Uh, and um, one of the ways in which impact and I was able to help out with that pop trailers or the, the couple that have been done so far was create bills and materials for some of the cable management products, the cable runway, managing the power and data and fiber cables that are going to be inside of them. Um, all right, uh, moving on to the next question that I've got here. Go into my banners and open it up. 
what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome so far in the project? And, and maybe you could hypothesize on some of the, the challenges you might see in the future. Well, that's a pretty great question. That's a pretty broad question. I, mean, I changed you know, it on you. Yeah, you know, you kind of, yeah, it, it's, it, it, challenges are challenges. You're going to have them from start to finish. Um, some are big, some are small. Uh, the challenges start whether you're coming from a government sector or a private sector and uh, developing these projects to start off with. So there's going to be uh, issues there that you're going to have to overcome. Uh, getting into the build, um, um, let's see, getting your, like, getting your uh, material uh, ahead of time is, is probably one of the biggest achievements you'll have or one of the biggest things you'll have to overcome. Uh, if you don't do it early, you're going to run into a challenge of not having the material there when you start your construction. Right. So um, in a lot of cases, a lot of uh, different uh, groups or companies, excuse me, that uh, begin these projects, they wait till the final design or wait till a detailed design before they start ordering their equipment. Well, that's too late. You have to take from the concept view and start anticipating what you're going to need as far as the main items and start ordering that ahead of time. Uh, for us, we ordered all our material uh, for the fiber and conduit uh, uh, and vaults way ahead of time and uh, for the entire project, uh, all phases. So that, uh, that made a huge difference in terms of uh, what we were capable of doing over this last year. So that's probably your biggest challenges. The other challenges uh, also, under, you know, don't underestimate the nuts and bolts in these projects. The larger scale items are, are easy to identify and uh, to overcome if you, if you get them in early enough. But it's the nuts and bolts. Oh, we may have um, lost oh, him. Oh, okay. You're back. back on? <laughs> yeah. Back again. But it's a, nuts, it's a nuts and bolts that you really have to take care of because uh, uh, like the smallest piece can hold up a project uh, for a long period of time. So... Uh, those are uh, some of the pitfalls that you may fall into and uh, just to be aware of, okay? So having some history in this, these types of projects uh, probably helped you identify some of the nuts and bolts that people often forget. Yeah, I've deployed networks all around the world. <laughs> so it's um, understanding those nuts and bolts is... Uh, uh, it's always like a, a foreign, but uh, these are things you try to um, circumvent uh, before they happen. So uh, it's it's trying to it's trying to keep these things on track and trying to stay ahead of your uh, construction companies and, and making sure that they have what they need to keep going. So stopping a project is not something you want to do. No, definitely not. So, all right going to jump on to the next question. Um, in one of the locations for the project, there's kind of a, a unique industrial enclosure that's going to be used for a, a point of presence, point of interconnection. Um, I'm wondering if you can comment on the decision to go with this particular solution for that location, because it was kind of location specific. 
the location was um, a connection point for us um, outside the county. So um, their connection partner that we're using to, um, to get us down to Calgary to uh, the main internet hub, um, both of us, they had fiber, uh, a fiber uh, point there, but they didn't have any uh, uh, pop site or a point of presence in the uh, in the town and neither did we so in terms of um, uh, interconnection with one another and needing uh, an active site uh, what we needed to do was actually uh, uh, we didn't want to have to buy a building we didn't have to uh, purchase property we didn't have to want to go through that expense uh, for interconnection so basically what we did was uh, decided to um, implement uh, an environmental cabinet in that location so we could meet and we'd have two sides to that cabinet they can install their equipment we can install ours it was secured in between and uh and uh powered and uh, uh ups power supply in there with the hvac so it was um more economically feasible to do this and faster and uh, it actually uh, is in progress now, so it's um, looking forward to seeing it in, in, in action. And part of the um, kind of design process in all of this was engaging with Chatsworth to make sure that the heat loads of the active equipment can be properly cooled when it comes to the, the hot summer temperatures and also factoring in how cold it gets in the winter to make sure that there's enough heating if the active equipment doesn't produce or generate enough of its own heat. So there's dual redundant heating and cooling on the actual enclosure itself. Um, all right. Yes, I'm excited to see that when it's when it's installed. I'll be driving up to Olds. Take a look at that. All right, going to jump on to the next question. Um, you've kind of chosen to go with the centralized access control solution, uh, partially because there's lots of remote infrastructure. We have Nordeg, which is in the Rocky Mountains, which is, you know, a fair distance away from Rocky Mountain House, which is an hour from old. So it's quite spread out. Um, I'm wondering if you can comment on why you've chosen to go with this centralized access control solution and how you see it benefiting uh, long-term in the project. Well, from uh, previous experience in uh, broader networks uh, that I've deployed or uh, placed around, the, um, the access to these uh, some of these locations um, are not, even within a company itself, it's not infrastructure shared uh, within a company itself, there, you still have problems with uh, uh, access tags or access cards, I should say, uh, keys, uh, combination locks, uh, any change in um, uh, resources or requiring extra access or loss of resources has to, you have to go out and make a complete change. Loss of cards is another thing that uh, has to be redone all the time. So management of access is um, is actually a big factor in operations, and uh, it, it's problematic when you uh, start dealing with some of these remote sites and uh, and access uh, various access for uh, different uh, employees or or contractors, for instance. 
So it's um, it, it's going with uh, the the centralized uh, uh, the Serif four actually uh, component was much more uh, elegant in terms of uh, management, uh, in terms of management of the access, because each one of our pop shelters is open access. We infrastructure share. We have two separate doors into the shelter. We have um, uh, gateway protecting both sides. Uh, the, the bays for the ISPs or the clients that are going to be there, they have um, uh, Bluetooth access basically to their own bays and, uh, and only access to that particular door. So um, it's, it's easy to program. It's easy to program a time frame for each one of the people that are going in there. And uh, it's easy to take them out of the system or add them into the system. So uh, management and overall is actually uh, fairly straightforward and streamlined. So it's, uh, uh, it's effective. And you'll be able to manage all of this through the CO space, which is in, in Rocky. So kind of the, the central hub for the whole network. Yeah, well, well, the 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 Rocky Mountain House C, uh, central office is our uh, where all our fiber will uh, converge. Um, in term, we you know we'll be doing our uh, sure. So they'll have an we have external locks that'll also converge into there, but it also be uh, a local um, uh, uh, environment for managing the network as well as training center for, uh, for staff. So yeah, we'll have it all throughout there as well. So it makes it easier because there is an ISP side to the data room that uh, will also require special uh, access. Okay. 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 Well, that's a good answer. I like it. Um, we've talked a little bit about it now, but now you kind of can, can spread your wings, let's say. Um, what would you say is the current status of the project and when do you expect to be wrapped up with everything? And I'll overlay the map that we have, which will give people some context and then you can, can talk about uh, okay. that as well. So there we are. Okay, one farrier. Ferrier uh, Acres, which was about the 16, 17 kilometers uh, going uh, west from Rocky Mountain House, um, that's pretty well complete. And uh, we're just, uh, we've, we've got some live traffic on there um, in terms of our historic site, which is uh, Camp Parks Canada. So we've got that on a trial basis. We've already started that. Um, this past year, we were just going to do um, the section on uh, number two. Uh, from Rocky Mountain House to Olds. Uh, we're almost complete to the border of Olds and we just have to finish the fiber through Olds um, this year, uh, hopefully in the next uh, couple of months. And uh, once we have that, the Caroline Pop, uh, we should have that up and running within the next uh, month or so. And we should have deployment of our uh, uh, lit services or deployment of our electronics end-to-end uh, -end on this particular route by July, August timeframe. Um, the section six going to Nordig, um, the reason I was, it was deemed uh, phase six. Uh, the council had initially put that down as the last section to be completed, but 
Um, due to a recently announced grant that uh, was in the works, um, it, we managed to uh, add that in for last year's um, implementation. Uh, so we undertook the two major projects in one year. Um, and one of the benefits is we had ordered a lot of our materials for the entire project ahead of time. So we did have the materials uh, to, uh, to see that through. So we've got a new pop site in uh, Nordic and uh, we're just uh, finalizing the configuration of that as well. So we should have that uh, lit in probably the July timeframe. Uh, we also have a wireless tower in Nordic and a wireless tower in Farrier. Um, the Farrier tower is up, but we haven't got the service going yet. That should be around July timeframe as well. And Nordic, we're just finalizing um, uh, placement of the tower uh, near the pop site. And uh, that'll be finished probably uh, July timeframe. So uh, we managed to undertake these two large projects. And... Uh, uh, dealing with three different uh, contractors, uh, construction companies, uh, was a, a task on itself. And, uh, and staying ahead of them with all the materials was another big task on itself. So uh, we managed to get that done. Um, we're going to take this summer kind of off. We're just going to be doing a small trial out towards Ferrier on the route to Nordic uh, for a small... Um, trial of fiber to the home uh, that's going to be a very small portion which will be about uh, 12 to 15 homes roughly and um, that's just a trial some of the uh, tap technology and uh, uh, throughout for the rural and remote uh, structure that we want to do and uh, so we should have that in place by august time frame um, moving forward in terms of uh, um, looking forward to 2003, uh, our next stage will probably be the Condor stage, which will encompass um, Alhambra and Leslieville and going out to Condor and just beyond towards the uh, Red Deer border. Um, so we're actually ordering material now for next year. So just to let you know that. So that's basically where we stand right now. That's a, a really good segue to the, the next question that I have, which is, uh, have the global supply chain issues impacted your project at all? But um, it sounds like you've factored in for future needs, you know, a year from now, you're already planning on ordering. So maybe just um, if there's been any global supply chain issues or you've had any issues with product, you could touch on that. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, there's always, um, like I said, the the um, smaller detail pieces are the ones that um, uh, your your servers, your uh, those pieces for your back office support systems and your operational support systems, uh, piecing that together uh, in terms of um, uh, your element management systems uh, support for uh, all your technologies that's coming into play here. Um, those pieces take time and they actually, um, uh, have been a longer lead times because maybe chipset issues or whatever. 
um, that's caused some delays. Some smaller items too. It's just uh, the demand has been high for uh, smaller items like, um, uh, you know, well, I'll just give you an idea about uh, a vault. If you want to order vaults, it's like you're 35 weeks out. Uh, fibers even longer in some cases. But uh, in, times, in terms of the smaller stuff, um, signage, uh, things like this are, are always going to be a challenge in trying to get them in on time. So anticipate them, order them early. And uh, most of the suppliers have been actually very good. Um, I regard them as partners uh, going through all this. They've been extremely helpful and uh, uh, responsive which is uh, a good thing. They haven't left you in the dirt, uh, <laughs> so to speak. So um, when you call them, they, they're on it. So I, I've appreciated all their efforts. And, uh, and sometimes they even anticipate or actually let you know that you, you may have missed something or you should, you should uh, take a look at this. Or, so it's kind of nice. It's a kind of a nice relationship and it's been appreciated. Uh, well, that's excellent segue because my next question was going to be um, that, you know, it really seems like you, you value the vendors that you've decided to work with. Um, so if you want to comment on how you've been engaging with vendors and different representatives on the project. But first, uh, I do acknowledge that I've missed a few questions. We'll get to them at the end. I see there's a few coming in from Amelia and Hayden. So um when this is the last question coming up, Tim, and then when we do that, I'll ask you the questions that have come through and we can uh, answer those. Uh, but yeah, vendor relationships, how you've managed that. And I've made the rookie mistake of not plugging in my laptop. So I will go get my power cord. Uh, managing relationships. It's uh, like I said, it's um, you're making sure that uh, in the back, that things, um, the invoices are paid on time, um, making sure that they trust you, you, tr you trust them. Um, that's, that's basically where it comes on in line. Uh, you know, uh, su suppliers are a main ingredient in this. And if you, um, if you don't treat them properly and, and they don't treat you properly, I guess it's a, it's not a, a marriage that's going to last. But uh, most of them have been, uh, like I said, excellent. And uh, we've worked together very well, and they've been extremely helpful. So uh, that kind of relationship, that kind of uh, managing them is not managing them. It's actually working with them because you're trying to get the same thing done. And, and it's, uh, it's a bonus for them and a bonus for us if it succeeds. So Awesome. Nope, that sounds great. Um, okay, on to the comments. Amelia, I will answer yours. So Amelia asked Tim on that industrial enclosure, can the air flow between the two sections, which you'll recall is something that we, we planned for because there's going to be active equipment on one side and we want to make sure that we factor that in. So yes, we have a slotted liner in the middle, which provides both protection and separation between the two sides and also allows for airflow to pass between so that we can have adequate cooling. Um, 
Okay, uh, so the next question is for you. Uh, Hayden would like to know, is the county acting as the IRSP or is that being managed by a local business on top of the network that is owned by the county? Oh, it's a good uh, good question. And no, we're not acting as the ISP. Uh, we're not. Uh, our business is open access, and it's to uh, facilitate ISPs that want to offer service in the area. And um, it's basically ours is a backhaul, and uh, bringing it to their low point of location, or bringing them down to Calgary where they can provide uh, any gateway service that they want to provide. Um, the gateway is not into our, uh, portfolio and, um, it's, we're a non-compete. Uh, the only thing we're competing on is, is backhaul space. And, um, which, which is something that's uh, sorely needed in the, uh, area. I hope that helps. Definitely help me. Um, Hayden had another question. He would like to know what wireless technology is being used for the backhaul and CPE delivery. Um, in terms of um, wireless, we're not using wireless for backhaul. Uh, it's all fiber for a backhaul. Uh, wireless is just an extension off the backbone, basically, uh, for uh, point to multipoint. It's um, it's an analog system. Um, we're using um, an airspan product. Okay, uh, the Harmony 4200 and our CPEs are, we're using uh, one of the types is a, what they call a Titan 4000, which is a, a high gain um, up to uh, 14 or 15 kilometers out. So based on that, the, um, the airspan uh, contains four sectors, 65 degree sectors. Um, each radio unit is uh, combined. We're not so we're not uh, we're not using both sections. We wanted one, the throughput of at least one gig per radio, so each uh, radio will support one gig of service. I hope that helps. Uh, and then we have another question from Ian Mitchell: How is power being brought into the cabinet? Uh, is it a load center outside or inside the cabinet? So uh, that, we're bringing, that's getting done right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, um, um, we're working with uh, the uh, uh, energy provider. They'll be bringing in the um, um, 100 amp service with a metered on the outside of the uh, uh, cabinet. We'll have um, a panel inside the cabinet where we can break out for both sides and the UPS is there as well. So. We're using a hundred amp service. I think our UPS is uh, five kilo uh, kilo kilowatt. No, KVA. KVA. Yeah. yeah. And then there in the enclosure, there's uh, gland plates on the bottom, so they can run conduit through those and bring the power feed into that. Correct. Yeah. Uh, all right, we had a question come in from my team. Um, you had mentioned trying out tap technology. Is there a consideration for aerial or inside an enclosure or vault? Um, well, it, um, we're not, we're trying to avoid aerial as much as possible. Um, okay. uh, in terms of exposure to the elements here, 
Um, we want to avoid that as much as possible where we can. Uh, it's not to say we can, we're going to be able to avoid it uh, ongoing, but the last mile or mid mile is something that um, uh, we're not going to be looking at doing. We're looking at uh, ISPs to actually uh, facilitate that. We're just trialing some of the technologies for locations where we may not have an ISP that wants to go into that spot. So trying to optimize the fiber use as much as possible. Uh, my investigation in the TAPS was probably the answer to the question or answer to uh, conserving fiber, minimizing the fiber going into some of these rural and remote areas and being, being able to leverage the link budget on that uh, single strand of fiber um, all the way up the line, all the way up the chain, so to speak. So it was a, 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 a better way uh, than use of splitters, which is a dedicated fiber per splitter. So uh, this is what we want to trial, and this is what we're going to do. But in terms of ISPs and how they're going to roll out their fiber to the home, that is totally up to them and their design. So we're just trialing out the technology just to make sure that uh, it works well with us. Excellent. Uh, well, there's been no other questions that have come in, but if anybody has a has a last minute one they want to ask, now is the time. I'll give it a couple more minutes before we sign off. Is there anything else that you want to um, talk about in the project? I know that you mentioned some DWDM and GPON. Um, well, we're, we're prepared. I mean, in terms of building a network, um, you're not you're not, not initially going through any pre-sales or pre-leasing agreements. Okay. You're building a network. You build, we're building it uh, very quickly, uh, trying to get things off the ground. Um, so what you select in terms of your technology, what you how you place it in, how you do it, you're building a network with options. And uh, one of the key things there, if you're going to attract carrier class uh, clients, um, be aware that your, your equipment that you're going to be using, the technology you're going to be using is carrier class. And the security you have in each one of those locations where they may be connecting with you has to be carrier class. Okay, standards. So that's what we built we've built a network that has uh considerable options in terms of uh, uh offerings in terms of how we uh, how we connect whether lit services or dark fiber or whatever um it is important even on the wireless side we're not looking to compete on the wireless side uh we're putting that in um to trial and and it's the options for the um uh, wisp to utilize our or leverage our infrastructure and leverage our band that we have. We have lightly licensed band. So um, uh, where the CP doesn't have to change if the lightly licensed band is utilized by other uh, carriers as well. So we've provided a lot of options for open access. And I think that's a key and that's important uh, part of it as well. Okay, well, in our uh, conversation, we've had two more questions come in. Uh, we'll take these as the last two, unless somebody can get them in before we finish up. But uh, 
Ian would like to know, how are you managing the project? Is it design, build, contractor, or did you split out the design and build with other companies? What we did on, on the initial stage with Farrier, um, we did a, a, an RFP, which encompassed uh, construction or engineering, construction, and um, small knock environment. And uh, that was just to, so we could gather the um, cost fundamental project and track that. Um, as we move forward and got into more of the um, other parts of the project, we outsourced our engineering for longer term. After the first uh, combined project in Ferrier, we decided to outsource and separate construction and engineering. So we had uh, um, uh, outsourced our engineering. Um, we maintained the internal electronics and pop designs um, in-house, okay, through me. And um, so the uh, engineering for the construction and everything else um, has been, uh, uh, like I say, outsourced for a longer term for the whole project, basically. Uh, construction, we did um, a second company that we're putting in. So that's generally how we, uh, we've been working. Okay. And then the, the last question, which... I was going to ask you, but we decided to keep out. Uh, is there a fiber manufacturer that was chosen to build the, the network with? And if so, what were the reasonings behind that? Uh, well, there was, it, was a, it was a tender to start off with uh, that we put out for the particular fiber. Uh, we were using a 144 fiber. And um, what we found was, and I guess... I hate to drain my my sources uh, in terms of, uh, uh, but one company we had um, we had a few of them on 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 uh, online in terms of uh, responding to the tender and uh, the amount of fiber we were looking at three hundred fifty kilometers of fiber. Uh, that's where our order was and a delivery date by a certain date. So. Um, the response was good. Uh, we got good, better costing uh, by ordering that bulk, for sure. And um, uh, it was a European manufacturer, okay, uh, formerly Ericsson uh, at the time. Um, and uh, uh, Hexatronics was the name of the um, supplier that we used, which was, uh, uh, which was uh, a you know, an excellent company, uh, an excellent uh, quality of fiber, and they provided training uh, to all the splicers uh, for their warranty, um, which which was really beneficial as well. Awesome. Well, uh, we think we can end it there. That's a good amount of questions. Uh, if there's anything further on that anybody would like to have answered, you can send an email to myself or or Tim or put a comment in the, the podcast afterwards. We'll be able to see it and answer it. And uh, again, it'll be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll get the audio files up on there. So again, 
thanks again, Tim. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time to have this conversation with us. And looking forward to seeing how the project well, Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and I appreciate the option uh, opportunity to chat. I'm sure we'll be chatting more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, uh, Travis. Thanks, everybody. All right. Uh, bye, bye for now. I'll let you go then, Cat Travis.